0: Welcome all the people who've been here now for 40 years in this church. Those of you, this may be your first day. Those joining us live stream, want to welcome you. As was shared in family news, we had an exciting night in our family last Monday night. And Truett was baptized into Christ. He's my oldest son, 12 years old. If you show the picture, here we are. Casey and I had the privilege of baptizing him. Truett started, we've been in conversations about this for, for months, maybe over a year, talking about what it means to follow Jesus if you love the joy, see the joy on Casey's face. Casey was the first one to hug Truett. We talked about that. After Casey and I baptized Truett, Casey would hug him first, then Noah, then me. And Noah was pretty excited to hug his brother there. We've been talking about this for a while. And coming out of camp back in June, July, Truett came home and Truett said, Dad, I'm ready to take the plunge. I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, well, man, before you do, I want you to write out something for me. I want you to write out, I want to see it. Like, why do you want to follow Jesus? What does Jesus mean to you? Why do you want to be baptized? So Truitt took the time to write out a response to this, something we will probably frame and keep and show him for years to come. And one statement he made in there, well, one, he gave Wes Blackwood a a lot of props and love that Wes Blackwood had a a, a class at camp, a a speech he gave one day, a message that really touched Truitt's heart and opened him up to how great Jesus is. And then Truett had this one statement and he said that I realized that Jesus has has done something uh, that nothing can ever match. And I thought that's it. Uh, as a parent, there are times when you raise your children and you wonder if you were doing anything right. And there are times where there are these little moments of, okay, something is happening. There are times I'm questioning if anybody in my house is maturing but me. Uh, <laughs> and then many moments it's like, man, nothing's happening. I can remember Truett and Noah. Both of them, there have just been moments throughout their lives that that, that I can see God working in them. And then there may be moments, I'm wondering if God's doing anything in my house. When Truett was about five, Noah was about three. We had people over one night, Patrick and Chauncey Parson and Breck and Donna Haybecker. They were over for dinner. Dinner was over. Everyone was about to leave. And Truett comes in and Truett said, can I pray over everyone tonight? How are you going to say no to that? Truett wants to pray over our friends before they leave. So, Truett starts praying and he begins praying a prayer like many kids pray. God, thank you for, and just starts naming things all over the living room. God, thank you for people. Thank you for the couch. Thank you for TV. Thank you for, you know, just everything. And then Truett said this, and God, thank you that no one in this room has died. <clears throat> and I'm like, that's a good thing. And then in his prayer, he says, so it went like this, and his voice even got lower. He said, God, thank you that in this room no one has died but someone in this room has died. And when he said that, it opened my eyes. I was like, oh, I just went straight to like Ananias and Sapphira, a story in the Bible (laughs) where Peter said someone's about to die and they die. And I'm like, please, (laughs) please tell me everyone is breathing in here. (laughs) Like, is my son a prophet? What has happened? And he said, God, uh, thank you that no one in this room has died, but someone in this room has died. And it's Jesus. But he's not dead anymore. He's alive. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's one of those prayers you go and you journal and you're like, I never want to forget this, and I never want him to forget it. When we baptized him Monday night, I told him what I have, what I have told people when I've baptized them since the first time I baptized someone at the age of 17. And I had a mentor at the time, a man gifted with the gift of evangelism, who said, Josh, when you baptize people, leave them underwater for three seconds and let them think about what it's like to be under there with Jesus. But tell them before you hold them underwater for three seconds. Because if somebody holds you underwater for one second, you go into survival mode, right? So we told Truett we were going to do this. We held him underwater for three seconds. We brought him up. Later that night, I said, man, what did you think about when you were under there? He said, Dad, I just took a moment to tell Jesus I wanted to look more like him. I want to be more like him. Which I will continue to hold in front of him as a confession. I want him to live into for the rest of his life. And then I said, True, this is your night. You name a restaurant, we will go to it. And he said, Dad, I want to eat the food that we will eat in heaven for eternity, Gus's fried chicken. <laughs> We're just gonna get you into heaven quicker. And then eat it for eternity (laughs) once you were there. Church baptism came at a time in my own life where I was coming out of a sabbatical. And in my sabbatical in the month of July, I had a lot of time for reflection, especially the first two weeks of that. I'm not saying any of this for pity, but I've been through about a 16-month period of my life where I've had a lot of moments in those 16 months where I've questioned purpose. I've questioned effectiveness. I think a lot of us go through these seasons in our lives sometimes. I focus a lot on weaknesses and securities were being brought in front of me. So I've talked with friends and mentors and, and done some therapy, just trying to work through some of these weaknesses and insecurities in my life. Through all this, especially in the month of July, I felt God put His hand over my calling in life to be a minister, a pastor, clergy. That God was like, "This will not be questioned or touched, but everything else is on the table. Let's look at your heart," which is never fun if you've been there. Unless you know that God ultimately has your best interests in mind. In my sabbatical, I thought there may be big chunks of the Bible I would read. But mostly I read the book of Hebrews over and over and over. And I can't wait to start a lengthy study in the book of Hebrews on September 8th. That will be our fall study. Um, But I found myself going to 2 Corinthians 1-5 through a lot. And there are a few places in there that God pointed out to me, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in 2 Corinthians, but just listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10, it says this. Indeed, and this is Paul writing. He said, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So He's talking about persecution. But sometimes the word of God presents a principle or a truth that hits us no matter where we are. And he said this, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's way too much time in our lives. And for me, there's too many times in my life I rely on my own power, my own strength, my own experience, and not on the power of God. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15, I kept coming back to this over and over again, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, so this victory procession, and uses us, the church, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That there is nowhere in this city or in the 901 that God doesn't want to use a Sycamore View church to have an impact on it, neighborhoods, people, cities, businesses, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. God kept taking me back to 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Now that we are comp- Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new life, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That my competence is not in my 84-hour master degree program that I completed. My competence is not in 19 years of ministry I've completed or 16, 17 years of preaching. Our competence is in God in which the Spirit gives life in and through us. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, I kept going back here, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And as God was awakening my soul in the month of July and reviving me with the beauty and power of the gospel all over again, I remembered something I'd read from Jim Cymbala in his best-selling book, The Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, that came out about two decades ago that swept the ACU campus. All of us were reading this. And there was this one moment I remembered, and I went back and I found it, when Jim Cimbala says, One day I told the Lord that I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the Word and the Spirit, but never seeing it. I abhorred the thought of just having more church services, a hunger for God to break through in our lives and in my ministry. Jesus is the one who captivates and stirs and pleads and prods and invites and saves and redeems. And I've shared with Truett this past week what I feel like I shared with you quite often. And anyone who ever sits under my teaching, I want them to hear it from me. That the power of the gospel, the ultimate goal of the gospel is not that you get into heaven when you die. The ultimate goal of the gospel is that Jesus has done something for you and Jesus wants you to look more like him. It's transformation and formation. And I'm not minimizing heaven But that heaven is the beginning place. Heaven is a promise. Heaven is something that has been given to us. And now the goal of the gospel, the goal of the Bible, of the church coming together is that we are formed into the image of Jesus. And it would be so much easier for all of us to be formed into the image of Jesus if there weren't so many distractions in life, right? And interruptions and unexpected pain and grief and accidents so much easier so if we are here and where we want to go with God is over there into Christ's likeness and looking more like Jesus sometimes we've got to access where we are here to know what we need to do to get there my family just took a road trip out to the west coast I put four thousand seven hundred and six miles on our van and there were many times when we would get out to get gas that I would check the air pressure on the tires. I checked the oil. And a lot of times when we're driving, I wanted to know exactly how much gas I have on my car. Because if you're driving through New Mexico and Arizona sometimes, you may go 120 miles without seeing anything. So I'm not just having to gauge the gas, I'm also having to gauge how my family's doing when it comes to their bladders. You know, like, hey, we got 90 minutes and we're not gonna see anything. If Christ's likeness and formation is where we're trying to go over there, what are we doing now? How do we access and gauge where we are now to know where we need to go? I've asked Randy Frederick to come and join me just for a moment. Randy is one of the best doctors we all know. Uh, And I've asked Randy to come and just to uh, gauge my pulse. I don't know what my heart rate does when I preach, but we're about to find out, all right? I said, man, I want you to check my pulse, and we talked about even doing uh, blood pressure, but we're not going to do that today, so I'm going to talk, and I want you to check me out, all right? Um, I, to get an accurate pulse, you have to sit still and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to stay time still, time. and I'm just going I'm, I'm to, can I talk? Can talk. I'm going to talk. I do an annual uh, physical now every, every summer in July when I go in, I've started taking a dollar bill or a five dollar bill. Because the first thing they do is they weigh me. And I've started to tell the lady, hey, before I get on here, if you get within five pounds of where I am, this is yours. Now, some of you are like, I would never do that. In fact, I pay them not to say out loud what is on the scale. But they get my weight and then they check my blood pressure. I can think of three times in the life of this church when someone has passed out on a Sunday morning. Not because of my sermons, I don't think. In all three of these cases, people were fine. They just passed out. One was after giving blood. And I think all three of those, you were there with the people when they did. And when I saw you go to the people, one time Lee Brown passed out right here when reading Scripture. When you went over to all three of those, the first thing you did wasn't check their ears. You didn't take an instrument and hit their knee to see how their reflexes were. You didn't shake their shoulders or bring them to life. You very calmly checked their pulse. It's the first thing you did. How's my pulse this morning? Am I okay? You're fine. I'm <laughs> I, but I can tell that you're very passionate about your message. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Randy. <clears throat> so I asked Randy the other day, I said, man, I'm going to bring you up. I want you to check my pulse. And Randy said what he just told you. He said, Josh, I will, but you, you can't talk without moving your hands. Like, you've got to stay still. And I was like, what? That kind of serves the purpose of what I want to talk about today. What Randy just did for me. Is there anything in your life right now that does that for your soul? Where you're able to check a pulse, gauge how are you with God? Ruth Haley Barton wrote a book recently called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And she takes a moment early on in that book to define what she's talking about when she says the soul. She says, when I refer to the soul, I'm not talking about some ill-defined amorphous or something that doesn't have form, soft around the edges sort of thing. I'm talking about the part of you that is most real, the very essence of you that God knew before he brought you forth in physical form, the part that will exist after your body goes into the ground. So for you, what does it look like in your life? And and for some of you, you're just not touchy-feely people. I get that. But what does it look like to have a time of prayer where you can say, okay, God, how are we? Like, how are we doing? So follow me. Uh, Just for a moment, Casey and I, uh, two weeks ago today, we were in San Diego. And uh, we've made a commitment as our family. We have a lower mortgage. We have lower to no car payments. And we said, okay, here are our goals in life. We want to give away every year 25%, a quarter of whatever we make, and we want to set aside three or five percent of our income where we're going to take the boys and travel and just see stuff. So this is the biggest trip we've ever had. So we went all the way out to San Diego. So I take the boys to different baseball stadiums, and Casey doesn't go to any of them. She chose to go to a Dodger game with us this year because she wanted to eat a Dodger dog in Dodger Stadium. <laughs> now... Usually Casey will stay in the hotel and watch Hallmark movies and order in food and I don't know what else she does, but she doesn't go with us. So we're at a San Diego Padres game two weeks ago Saturday night. I get a text from Casey around the sixth inning. She said we were in a hotel downtown. She said, Josh, I found a restaurant I want to go to. I'm going to walk there. How about you guys come meet me after the game? So after the game, we find a restaurant. We walk, we meet Casey. She's there. She's eating fish tacos. She's almost done. We had already eaten at the game, but on the menu, I see jambalaya, and jambalaya and I are good friends, so I'll order some jambalaya. So we're there another 20 minutes. The boys are getting antsy, all right? They're ready to get back to the hotel. They want to go swim. They want to play on electronics. So sometimes I think they give each other the look like, hey, if we act and start bugging each other, then mom and dad are going to get upset, and they're going to go. So let's, let's start doing it. So we're in a hurry. So I look at the server. And I'm like, will you just bring the check next time you come by? I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. So he brings the check. I put the credit card in the little, you know, little thing. He takes it. He comes back, signed the credit card. We're ready to go. We walked 0.9 miles back to the hotel. Saw all of San Diego downtown. It was gorgeous. Went to sleep that night. Woke up the next morning. Casey's still sleeping. The boys are sleeping. I get dressed. I go to get a workout in. And I knew there was also a store down in the very bottom of this hotel. Casey collects salt and pepper shakers. So I was going to go find her a salt and pepper shaker. I found her a salt and pepper shaker, pulled out my money clip to pay for it. And guess what? The credit card wasn't there. I don't do this kind of stuff. Some of you do. I don't do this. I began to panic. I'm sure my pulse, my heart rate as I, oh my goodness, I left the credit card at the restaurant. How many of you have ever been in a position like what I was in? I'm freaking out. Now I had another credit card, paid for it. I knew I wasn't gonna have to start a GoFundMe page for my family to get the San Diego, from San Diego back to Memphis. But, but what do you do? You, you can't just say, like, I'll take care of that when I get home. So I called the restaurant. They answered the phone at like 9.30 in the morning. I said, do you have a credit card that was left last night? He said, sir, we have seven that were left last night. (laughs) I said, well, it's a Bank of America Visa card. He said, you're in luck. I have a Bank of America. And then he said, oh, wait, wait, wait. By the sound of your voice, I don't think your name is Latoya, is it? And I was like, no. So, Didn't have a card. And then it hit me. I was just reading a book, Ruth E. Barton. And I'd even use this in counseling sessions with people. And here's what she says in her book about strengthening the soul of leadership. She says this, Losing your soul is sort of like losing a credit card. You think it's in your wallet so you don't give much thought until one day you reach for it and you can't find it. The minute you realize it's gone, you start scrambling to find it, trying to remember when you last used it and at least had it in your possession. And when I realized I had lost my credit card, I was like, man, for two months since I've read that from Ruth Haley Barton, I judged other people. I was like, that will never be me. But other people have done this. And And then it was me. And it was this reality. And she's not talking about like losing your soul as in you lose your salvation. It's that core of who you are. What you were made for. What you build your life on. So, here are four things really quickly, and I want to build on this the next three weeks. Four things when it comes to your heart and soul. Four things. Surrender it, guard it, nurture it, fight for it. So, whenever it comes to your soul, so for the teachers and educators and students, for other employees in the room, from moms and dads, for retirees, when it comes to your heart and your soul, you surrender it, you guard it, you nurture it, and you fight for it. You surrender it. Because for us, there's not that I need God to come and make my life better. For Jesus doesn't come to make bad people good or good people better. He he comes to take dead people and bring them to life. That for us, we need Jesus to save what we cannot save, to redeem what we cannot redeem, to restore what is broken that we cannot fix on our own. And there are too many days in our lives where I think our prayer to God is like, God, I've got this today, but we can't afford to go a single day without God, I need you today. Your behavior, your attitude, your character. For some reason, God is drawn to weakness. Whenever we think about surrender, sometimes people think it's a sign of weakness, and it is. But God is drawn to weakness. He's attracted to weakness. He can step into it. The expression of weakness gives God something to work with. So surrendering a life to Jesus or connecting to Jesus or even entering into salvation is not about you trying to get as close to Jesus as you can. It's why in baptism we here practice full immersion. Everything you have goes under. We surrender everything to Jesus. You surrender it, you guard it. In Proverbs chapter 4, 23, it says, above all else, you guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Sometimes guarding our heart means you got to get things out of your heart. You guard it by weeding things out. We were gone 16 days on our trip before I left. I pulled some weeds out of the flower bed. I came back and it's like somebody planted weeds in my flower bed. (laughs) I work out quite a bit. I don't get too sore anymore. But whenever I take 30 minutes to pull weeds, I feel like I cannot walk for two days. And the same is true when it comes to trying to get stuff out of our hearts. It can be hard work. Sometimes you guard your heart by weeding it out and sometimes you guard it by, being, by, by fighting for it and setting up boundaries in your life to keep things from coming in. You surrender it, you guard it, you nurture it. I'm gonna talk a lot about this next week from John 15. In Matthew 5, 8, it's blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Multiple times in your Bible, you have things like from Luke six forty five, where Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. You nurture it. Somebody, there's an old saying, especially in charismatic churches, and the old saying is still true. If you have only the word of God, but you don't take seriously prayer and other things, you dry up. But if you only have the spirit, you just blow up with energy. But if you have both, you grow up. You are nurtured. You surrender it. You guard it. You nurture it. And you fight for it. (laughs) At my sister's funeral, I remember looking down at Malaya, who was nine years old at the time, and I said, Malaya, we are going to fight for your faith. And now, over nine years removed, Malaya came and hung out with us last weekend, and we reminded her of this, and we reminded her of ourselves. Malaya, we are committed. Like, this is something that doesn't end. We fight for your faith. 2 Corinthians 4 is a place in the Bible that I pray over our staff here more than anywhere else in the Bible and it's that since you're engaged in a ministry in this ministry that you do not lose heart this was a prayer I took throughout this sanctuary this worship center this week praying over this church that no matter where you are in life that God would help you not to lose heart we fight for it I don't know which of the four of those you need the most in your life but identify one surrender uh, nurture Guard, fight for? So let me end with this. Two Sundays ago in San Diego, we went to the U.S. Midway Museum. It's a naval ship built in the early 1940s. It's been a museum now for over 25 years. When you go into the Midway, you're just, you're amazed at how big this ship is. Yet how fast it could go. They, they joke around saying it's so fast you could water ski behind it. It could get up to almost 40 miles per hour. And you go up to the top deck and it's the flight deck. It's the size of three football fields and planes are still up there today. But then you see videos of how planes used to take off and how planes would land. And there's action and a lot of things that go on up on the flight deck. If you go to the next picture, you actually see uh, Casey and Truett and Noah taking a picture up on the flight deck. So if you'll go to the next two, just while I talk, here's the U.S. Midway out at sea, and then there's one where it sits now as a museum. So up on the top deck is a flight deck. In the middle, you get to walk throughout this entire ship, and there in the middle, the mid-deck, I don't know what you call it, but there in the middle of the ship, This is where the cafeterias were. There were lounges. This is where laundry would be done. This is where if you were onshore, your spouse could come and you could watch a movie. You could have dinner. It's where your dates could come. This is where you slept. So on the top was a fight deck, flight deck. And then in the middle is kind of where people would chill a little bit. And then we were able to go way down to what felt like the basement, but it was the engine room. And not too many people worked down in the engine room, but you got to hear recordings of people who did. And to be assigned to the engine room meant that you would sometimes go days, maybe weeks without ever seeing the sun, forgetting what day it is. It was hot. Yet, if people weren't fulfilling their function in the engine room, people weren't eating on the middle deck and they weren't able to do what they needed to do up on the flight deck. So for teachers and educators and students, for parents and employees and retirees and people, there's so much action to be done in the kingdom of God from the flight deck. This is where life is lived. It's where we work. It's where evangelism is done. It's where we do justice. It's where we care for orphans and widows and foreigners. It's from the flight deck. It's where action happens. And then you have that place in your life where you come and you chill with the family and you engage in fellowship and you eat your meals every day. But if we don't take time to see what's going on down in the engine, everything else is going to fall apart. So for teachers and people, you can't say, let me just wait until the holidays and then I'll gauge the health of my heart. It's the, what do you have in your life right now to gauge who you are with God, how you are with God. So for your heart and your soul, we surrender it, we guard it, we nurture it, we fight for it. I'm gonna ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people today. And as you see these trusted prayer leaders going around the room, you may go to one of them as we sing a song this morning, and you may say this morning, Josh said something and I just need you to pray surrender over me or nurture over me or growth over me. I need you to fight for me right now. It may just be one of those words. If you had to assign one of those in your life and even share it with your life group today or your family, which one, which one do you need? Let's stand together. If there's a need in your life, please come forward. We have elders up here to receive you. And let's sing a song.